We live in a world where novels and Hollywood movies worship vengeance. Those who attain revenge are hailed as heroes, returning for sequel after sequel to once more avenge a wrong. But is that the way life has to be? Is that how we want to spend our energies? What role does forgiveness and forbearance play in real life? Hi, my name is Dan Dick and welcome to Church Matters. Joining me in the studio today for part two of our series on forgiveness and forbearance is John H. Newfield, retired pastor from First Mennonite Church in Winnipeg, Professor Emeritus and former president of Canadian Mennonite Bible College, now known as CMU, or Canadian Mennonite University. If you've not already listened to part one on forgiveness, I urge you to do so. Our conversation today will make more sense if you do. On this episode, we'll focus on forbearance. Welcome back to Church Matters, John. Thanks. It's good to be back. John, just to summarize a bit, in part one, we learned the three kinds of offenses that require forgiveness, betrayal, disloyalty, and abuse. If those are the conditions requiring forgiveness, then what kinds of situations require forbearance? That's a very good question, and I find that many people don't have much of an idea of what is meant under forbearance. It's actually a rare word in the New Testament and in our Christian conversation. But I found that when I look back over a decade, I could not think of instances where I had to forgive a betrayal, a disloyalty, or an experience of abuse. But I could think of many instances where I had to forbear stuff that I experienced in my interaction with others. And in Colossians, Paul actually says to forbear and forgive one another, to bear with one another and forgive. And what I want to emphasize today is this bearing with, forbear. It's a very interesting thing. There are lots of hurts and irritations in life. And we experience most of them with people that we are somewhat close to, in our families, in our churches, among friends, our colleagues. We are often, we are not often hurt or irritated by those whose names we don't know, except if it's a driver who cuts ahead of us or someone who uh, gets ahead of us in a checkout line. Mm. Those are usually unknown people. But I'm thinking of matters like this. Someone has the habit of being habitually late. And we know when they are invited or if we are going somewhere that so-and-so will probably be late. They're always late. And that irritates us a bit. And some people at the dinner table or at a barbecue tell long and involved but boring stories. And we know this is what we expect from them. But it irritates us a bit. And then some people simply need too much time to get ready when they want to do something, go out or whatever. And so such things don't call for forgiveness. Such things call for forbearance. 
they are, there are irritations and slights. And it's mostly rooted in the fact that others are different than we are. And if I have a certain habit of doing things, I would wish that others would have a similar habit. And what is recalled for here is that we are to be tolerant, magnanimous to those who are different in our families, our colleagues, in our churches. And we are to endure them, to put up with them, and to cut them some slack. In fact, forbearance is one of the very practical things about being good neighbors. You see, we all believe in loving our neighbors, but we often select who those neighbors will be that we love, and we decide how we're going to express that love. Now, what does, what does loving a neighbor actually mean in, in practice? And so I've tried to find where does the New Testament talk about forbearance, and it doesn't mention it very often at all. But I think that forbearance is hinted at without using the word, repeatedly. And I, I skimmed through Paul's letters, and I realized that we've probably overlooked something which steps on our toes, and that may be why we overlook it. And that is that when Paul urges us to love one another, which he does 15 times or so, he asks, he also asks us to forbear, and the kind of expression that he uses is all of those one another expressions that Paul uses. You can underline them in your Bible. And here's a few of them. Bear with one another. Have no judgment of another. Welcome one another. Care for one another. Bear one another's burdens. Be kind, admonish one another, encourage one another, exhort one another every day, provoke one another to love, confess sins to another, be hospitable, serve one another. And we say, enough already, Paul. <laughs> You're loading us with a heavy load. That's a lot of forbearance. That is. And I, I think I'm correct in understanding these one another expressions as each of them saying what forbearance is all about. And it's an, I, I've called forbearance the uneasy yoke, the uneasy yoke of forbearance. And I have to ask myself, how often have I actually done these relational things? Mm -hmm. The way you've described those 15 expressions of forbearance, it almost seems as if it's a lot more difficult than forgiveness. Forbearance calls me to put up with the people who are always late and the boring storyteller and the people who take so long to get ready before getting going. How can we equip ourselves for forbearance? I think with great difficulty because these practical things, these 15 things, they are an uncomfortable intrusion into my life. Hmm. I mean, that I'm supposed to admonish someone else? 
I'm supposed to confess sins to someone else, and I'm supposed to be kind to others who are different. And I think it's the, the daily relentless expectation of the practice of neighborliness and love that is expected through this expression, one another, or to forbear. And it's a tough thing to do. I think we have to work at it all our lives. So I hear you saying that forbearance is a greater need among us than forgiveness. What has led you to that conclusion? Well, simply my own experience and the nods in audiences and classes when I've asked them to think of how often they've had to actually forgive a disloyalty, a betrayal, or an abuse, and how often they have to forbear, put up with, and cut people slack, uh, everyone nods in agreement that this is the real daily grind that we face. And uh, it's, it's quite a burden. Deep down, I like to think that the world would be a better and easier place if only everyone would think the way I think, if we all, you know, always agreed on everything. But that's not how the created world seems to operate. Lawns and gardens produce more pleasing results when we weed them, when we get rid of the sweet clover and the dandelions, and we eliminate sometimes useful but misplaced volunteer plants in a garden. And still diversity seems built into plant nature, human nature. How are we to apply this metaphor to the body of Christ? Well, that's a very good question, and I, it's interesting that Paul uses that same image of the garden and says to the church in Corinth that you are God's field, which was a city lot. And this, the, the characteristic of this field in the city or our lots in the city is diversity. You don't just plant carrots or one kind of flower. Everything grows in the same soil, is watered, and receives sun. And Paul says that the church is to be that way, an affirmation and a celebration of radical diversity. And the thing about the first century churches is that they were not homogeneous and they were not clones of each other. They were Jewish background people, Gentiles, somebodies from society, nobodies, some strong in faith, some weak in faith, some legalistic, others free-spirited, but all together in one church. And Paul did not ask anyone to leave. Hmm. He invited them to celebrate their diversity and accept it as this is the new norm for what he called the new humanity, that Christ broke down the dividing walls of hostility between Jews and Gentiles and all the other div dividing things. And the other image that he uses is the human body. In 1 Corinthians 12, we have very different parts, eyes, ears, nose, fingers, hands, feet, head, and so on. Again, in the body, diversity abounds. And Paul doesn't say, too bad it's that way. 
and he doesn't lament the fact, but he says, this is an, a diverse body of interdependence, and it calls for forbearance again and again. And no one can say, I don't need you or I don't like you. We are all one in it together. And then the third image which Paul uses is what I've labeled the table. He talks about vegetarians and meat eaters in Romans 14. They come to the table and some say it's only right to eat veggies, others also eat meat. And the narrow-minded, Paul says, judge the more liberal. He asks the question, why do you judge those who eat meat? And why do you despise those who are more strict? And each group craved that the others conform to their expectations in convictions and in practice. And Paul says, no, it's not needed. And he gives a surprising solution to this diversity, differences of belief and practice in the church. And he says, let everyone be convinced in his own mind before God. Think it through theologically where you stand. And then he says, the utterly surprising thing, welcome one another then as God in Christ has welcomed you. What? With these differences? Paul says, yeah, that's the new humanity created in Christ. Work at it. And so uh, strong convictions and a different practice. It sounds like an impossibility. How can you have strong convictions and even a different expression? It leads me exactly to my next question. Um, how can you do that? That seems like a really tall order to have both strong convictions and amazing acceptance of others. I think this is again uh, an instance where once we have caught Paul's inspired imagination on this and his vision for the, the people of God, then we have to decide if this is what Paul expressed as God's vision, will I lean in that direction even though it will be difficult. And I think just like in forgiveness, we have to decide, I want to be an accepting person, even with those who disagree radically with me. And we do not break fellowship because we are different. Whenever there are differences, unique traits, convictions, and backgrounds and habits in our families and friends and church, we want to say that by the grace of God, I will become more other-minded and more less and less self-minded rather than insist that everyone has to become like I am. I find that hard, but that is the vision that Paul gives the church. Have we somehow lost our way in the art of teaching these ideas of forgiveness and forbearance in the church? I think that if we look at what we've done, we may not have lost our way, but we have lost a sense of what is priority. So the question of being a forgiving people, I don't think it's mentioned in our confession of faith in Mennonite perspective. 
Hmm. Which means that it, it wasn't considered high priority. But Jesus and Paul both gave it high priority. And so I, I think we have to review our practice somewhat and be willing to admit that maybe we've overlooked something that is critical for the life of the church. And I hope that pastors and teachers will explore this important topic and dimension of discipleship and give it uh, some focused attention beyond the abstractions. And the, the thing about this is it's relevant across the generations. This applies to children in their relationships, to young people, to young adults, middle-aged, and seniors. Everyone deals with this agenda. And I think it would be helpful if we would, from time to time, have something to offer the church about the importance of having a vision about forgiveness and giving it conscious attention, as well as forbearance. And, and thereby deepen our experiences in our homes, in our workplaces, on our playgrounds, and in, in the church. T to me, it seems this would be one way in which we could uh, practice what we pray for in the Lord's Prayer. Hmm. What I mean is, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we, we leave that pretty vague. And an emphasis on forgiveness and forbearance would put some substance into the meaning of doing God's will on earth, to forgiving those who wrong us and to forbearing those who are different. I think these are essential practices in the Christian life, and all of us have a bit of room to grow. John, it's been such a deep pleasure to have you here joining me in the audience of Church Matters. Thank you so much again for your time, for your wisdom on these topics. May your words inspire us to be better people and better Jesus followers. Thank you. You're welcome. Glad to have been here. That completes the second and final part of our two-part series on forgiveness and forbearance. If you would like to read up on the topic of forgiveness and forbearance, I invite you to access dozens of titles on the topic at www.commonword.ca. Items are available for loan, purchase, or free download. You can join me again in just four weeks for another episode of Church Matters. We're here for you at 8.45 a.m. on the third Sunday of each month. We always welcome your feedback to the program, and we love to hear listener ideas for topics and themes you'd like us to cover. Put your email in a nicely decorated envelope, perhaps with some fall colors, and send it to churchmatters at mennonitechurch.ca. We'll also receive your phone calls and always appreciate your financial support for this program at 1-866-888-6781 or via the donate link at mennonitechurch.ca. I'm your host, Dan Dick. Know that you are called, equipped, and sent to be the church in the world today. Thanks so much for listening. As you go out from here, may the Lord go with you. The face of God shine on you every day. We are sent by God wherever we are living, salt and light as people of the way.